Welcome to Let's Talk with Shea Marville. Shea is an internationally certified yoga and meditation teacher, a corporate wellness pioneer and founder of the Limitless School of Human Relations. Let's Talk is a podcast about better human relations, growth, connection and hope through conversations and compassion. Hey Shea, let's talk. Thank you, JC. Oh, my friends, on today's show, I have a very, very special guest, Bonnie Hillman, the CEO and president of A&E Inc. She's been a pioneer in the sponsorship and fundraising arena in Canada. She has brought together the most extraordinary partners to create public spaces. Bonnie, welcome to Let's Talk. So let's talk. Thank you, Shay. It's a total privilege and honor to be here. Oh, I love that. I love that because, you know, I feel exactly the same way about you. And in anticipation for talking to you, even though I've known you for so many years, and I still find you extremely endlessly um, interesting and exciting. And because you seem to always be open to trying new things and exploring new ways of doing things. And I was wondering about how you are approaching this, like sort of this new reality that we're living in from a sponsorship and media building uh, perspective. Yes. Well, that is the million dollar question of the, of the year, I would say. Um, And I love that you've asked, you know, my, my career, I have always, sort of followed my nose, I'd say, and my Mm -hmm. instincts around fundamentally what are people doing, thinking, and feeling. Mm -hmm. And sponsorship and marketing is so linked to those things. So when we look at sponsorship in this new reality, because I don't think we're going back anytime soon, and I don't think even when we return to something different, it won't be back. It will be forward. Yes. Sponsorship, the whole fundamental, the fundamentals of sponsorship, which is about touching consumers when they're enjoying something mm-hmm. or when they're doing something that's important to them, be it a sports arena experience or a theatrical production. Sponsorship is about a brand becoming part of that experience and getting the halo effect of whatever people are feeling in that moment. And so those things, those principles still will be there. People will still be enjoying themselves in various ways. They will be doing things that are important to them and meaningful. And so a brand that figures out how to connect with that experience and become part of it in a way that makes sense um, for the brand and for the experience, it will be the same. The way we measure sponsorship will change because Mm -hmm. historically it's been a numbers game. And I don't know, you know, so uh, the value of a sponsorship was related to how many people are in the stadium, right? Or how many people attend a museum or how many people are going to this exhibition. We don't know when it is that we'll be able to return to those large numbers Mm -hmm. and sponsorship still needs to continue um, and evolve. So how we measure it will be the fundamental difference and what brands will be willing to pay for will change. How how has social media impacted the work and the, the work that you do and the way that you do it? 
So first of all, I just want, I, I want to just circle back because pure sponsorship, it, it hasn't always been about the caring and connecting in a, in a, um, a sort of philanthropic way. That's philanthropy. Okay. Um, pure sponsorship has really been about wanting to sell more product with a demographic and using, I mean, when I think about real sponsorship as it's defined, it's a marketing exercise. Um, these days you can't market without having that human touch and that caring and that um, sort of connection to a cause or some meaning to it. So you're absolutely right. That's what it means now, but it's evolved to mean that I, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'm glad now. you made that distinction because I think, I think a lot of us get confused by that, but now, and now because the shift has been so dramatic and it's almost as though, you know, corporations are sort of dancing around um, how not to be corporate, how to be more human, but also yes. know like, what's the line? Like where, where, right. like what, where do I land in Absolutely. that? And, and they need to be authentic. And so, yeah. um, and, and I think historically people have used the word donation and sponsorship interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not interchangeable. A real donation is that a donation and a sponsorship is, we're going to get some kind of marketing value, but now as, as we're saying, they're not as distinct. They're definitely more combined. I read an article that they basically um, in strategy magazine, I believe that Mm. social issues and caring for people became the number one CEO priority in 2020, which is pretty interesting. Um, It's pretty stunning. Also the number one, the number one priority for CEOs. For CEOs. Right. Yes. And and that was definitely pandemic related, making sure yes. their teams were feeling healthy and 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 doing everything they could to have them work remotely and and be productive. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty stunning. It's true. I was just going to get to the social media piece. I mean, we've been working in the digital world with marketing and and philanthropy too um, for for many years now. And it's definitely changed everything. It's still just a medium though. And Mm -hmm. people do have experiences with social media and on social media. They just take a different form. Mm -hmm. Um, And we we see this with Zoom and how, you know, we're forced to work the way we are. There are some benefits. There are a lot of 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 negative things around this that we miss. We miss the connection and the high touch. but fundamentally, it's really just another medium. So when we think about in the old days, how we used to get press coverage, now it's working through social media, working with influencers yes. who in their own way are just another media, another form of media. And yes. so when we step back and, you know, I'm, I'm Shay, I'm in an older generation. I'm not a digital native. Um, and so for me, wrapping my head around that, the, the first thing I need to do is understand that, that yeah. the how has changed, but the what is still fundamentally the same. We're yes. wanting to connect with people when they're enjoying themselves, when they're feeling the best that they are through, you know, and that's happens on social media sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the opposite happens. Um, Precisely. It is a medium just like, a magazine is just like television used to have its role much bigger than it does now. I'm glad you use the word digital native because I actually think um, this is a term 
that also breaks down by, it breaks age down as well, because it, it's true that it's a young, it's a form that younger humans use, but it's also a form that we're all learning about at the very same time within our generational blocks. Yes. And one of the biggest influencers for me right now has become my two younger children. Yeah. So, and, and I'm amazed by what they learn on TikTok and Instagram and then see, and then share with me just, right. you know, over, over conversation. But what I've noticed, especially with my daughter is that um, she's really gotten into a lot of movements. She's aware of a lot, like she's aware of corporations in a way, in a very significant way, yes. in a way that I wasn't at 16 years old. So I, I also wonder about these generational influencers and how that um, yes. aligns with what you're, what, what, like what you're doing and building and, and sort of reprogramming in, in your industry. Absolutely. And everybody is, I mean, I love what you're saying about everybody learning because it's changing all the time. Everybody's learning, but the, uh, a digital native is so much more comfortable mm -hmm. with being very agile in the space. And yes, to, to your point about your 16 year old being so much more woke or aware of mm -hmm. what's happening in the world. I, I think that's the, the plus side of social media in that so much more is accessible to us um, without having to plow through, you know, a, a newspaper, like I would have had to do when I was younger, I would have had to look for it rather than it just showing up for me. Completely. Um, and I think that, of course, the danger we know is the echo chamber that we can be part of that when we all have positions and points of view and opinion, and to really get at what's, you know, what's not fake news and what's the truth. Um, is is the downside of that that we mm -hmm. could surround ourselves with like-minded views that are not at all founded in any kind of truth not saying that our kids are doing that but that's the danger no but you're yes, right on you're right on i think that um i also my young staff and and my sons too are absolutely show me the way i remember um going to a conference and there was a gentleman who had written a book called um, The Modern Elder. Mm. And it was really about, he told the story, he was in his 50s and he had been a travel, he had run a travel company and he was actually hired by Airbnb um, and to sort of give them some context around the travel industry. But he was an intern in the company. That's fascinating. And the making of a modern elder. And so the, the flipping of somebody who's had a, in his case, a 35 year career to go into an organization and be an intern. And I was so inspired by that, that I, there are people on my team who mentor me who are in their mid twenties around social media and, and around not just the mechanics of it because, yes, but really uh, around understanding how a 28 year old gets his or her or their news, how they, what moves them to actually do something versus just passively participate, listening. 
buy something versus not. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And I think that's been key for me to, and very humbling to be vulnerable enough to realize that, yes, I know lots of things. I have a lot of experience, but Mm -hmm. the space I'm in now, I need my young staff. How did you get into this industry? That's a great question. I, 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 I won't say I fell in because I think when I look back on my career, there were always, there was intentionality around following my interest. And, and like you, Shay, I, you know, I have, I've had a a fairly circuitous path in terms of following my nose and my gut and my heart as you have. Um, And so I would say I, I, I came into it because I knew that I was interested in ideas and people and I like to buy things when I was younger, especially. And mm-hmm. so I like the whole psychology around what makes somebody do something, either act on behalf of a cause or give money or mm-hmm. buy something. So that understanding and insight that comes with marketing, I'll say, and fundraising yes. and all the things that make us, that, that help us influence, that influence us to do something that interested me a lot. Um, and I'm a storyteller. I was an English major. And so I love telling a story and I love crafting a story around something that then makes somebody either think differently or act differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of my jobs have, have followed that path. I also knew that I wanted to be around smart people and ideally people who are smarter than I um, and creative people. I, I love the, the process of witnessing creativity in, and not just artistry or, you know, painting a painting, but people who solve a problem creatively. And so my career took that path. I started in advertising um, as a very mediocre copywriter, I would say, with no humility. I was not, I'm not slick enough or fast enough to be a really good copywriter. And I know great ones. And I, I knew then, but I was given a shot and I loved the process. Um, And this was in New York in the 80s. And so it was a very particular time, as you'd imagine, TV shows have been written about it. And yeah, yeah, you grew Um, up, you grew up, you grew up in New York. I did grow up up in New York. Yes, I'm um, from New York. I worked in different marketing jobs and then would have an existential crisis about I wanted to have some meaning Mm. in my work and make a difference in the world other than selling toothpaste not to be cliche. And so then I sort of took my skill set, which was really about crafting a story so that somebody does something and started working in the not-for-profit sector, initially in New York. And then when I came to Canada, my first job was where I met you at the Ontario Science Center. You were, you were quite pivotal for me because uh, of friendliness and kindness. Uh, and, and I think we really, you know, we're talking about a lot about that now, but but I don't know if people always understand um, how valuable that is to someone just to make them feel like they belong. Yes, absolutely. I, and thank you for acknowledging me. I, I don't, I think it came from a natural curiosity around who are these people and especially who is this beautiful, young, smart woman who I just want to know her. Um, so I don't think it came from any altruistic place. I think it was genuinely me being curious and Canada was my new home. And so Mm. I wanted to actually meet interesting, fun people. And, and that continues for me, obviously. I think people, um, in my business, I think that 
you know, I know there's a lot of talk about extrovert and introvert. Right. It's, it's not so much related to that because I have felt that I can be both actually, Mm -hmm. even though I am outgoing. Um, But I have a genuine curiosity of people generally. So, you know, know, I, I, I share that with you because I, I actually, I obviously, I, I can be extroverted. I learned to be extroverted because I was actually quite shy when I was young. Me too. Um, and so I can put it on, but I also, I know I'm an introvert because I am somebody who can be alone for long periods of time and actually enjoy it. Yes, me too. Hence the need for the meditation and, and, and having that as a practice. So I, so it's, it's interesting, these little, these concepts about who's an introvert and who's an extrovert. I'm not, I, I think there's 7.8 billion people in the world. So there are probably 7.8 yes. billion ways to, to exist. To, to, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. But yes. But you were saying about your early career and how you, you moved into uh, sponsorship. I realized about myself that um, the not-for-profit sector, as noble and important as it is, wasn't necessarily the rhythm and st- and um I was going to say style that I like, but style is too superficial a word that, that I, I felt that I needed a more business-like mm. approach in my work. And so then I kind of went back into working in an ad agency and mm. sponsorship ultimately for me um, really came to fruition. I had done sponsorship throughout my career, but when I joined the company I now own 20 years ago, it combined both for me. We were working primarily with museums and cultural institutions, which I loved and am passionate about. Um, but we were doing deals and I actually love doing deals. Mm-hmm. And as much as I love storytelling and all of that, I, I'm, I, I love bringing together two different groups and having them be bigger than each of them were on their own. Yes. And that's the core of sponsorship for me. And so I found my home in that space. Um, mm-hmm. And it combined my love of marketing and communicating with my wanting to make a difference. And that yeah. continues to do to be that for me. Is, is it also um, sort of a, a kind of uh, a sense of competition within yourself that you always want to be, you know, better because you've, you've, you have crafted some significant uh, deals uh, I mean, would you would you be okay with sharing some of, of what course, you've done in, in Canada? Because yeah. I, I mean, it, it's really uh, significant. Um, well, thank you for saying that, Shay. I, I don't know if it's about competing with myself, although that's probably one way to frame it. Yes. Um, and I am always, um, it, it's really about seeing what can be possible. So each project mm. that I get to work on, didn't exist before. And so I then get my goodies by saying, Oh, wow, okay, we came up with this idea. And I'll give you some examples. Please. And, you know, not alone, we collaborate with our fabulous clients. Of course. And then this is what came out of it. So the most recent one was, um, we were hired by the developer who had who has a, um, a 75 year head lease with the city of Toronto to redevelop Union Station, the mm-hmm. train station in downtown mm-hmm. Toronto, the largest in Canada. And at that time, this is six or seven years ago, it was really um, 
frankly, an eyesore. People would try to avoid Union Station. There was construction on Front Street. Um, yes. it, it was a horrible experience to go through there. If you were going to a game um, at what's now the Scotiabank Arena, you sort of held your nose and ran through Union Station. It was not a nice experience. Back in the day when it was built, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were beautiful restaurants there. And so this, the, the vision of this was to return it to that, to, to a, or not return it, but to make it a, a destination. There's mm-hmm. so much condo development in that part of the city with very few services, restaurants and truly cheese truly. markets. And, and so, and, and Union Station has done an incredible job and the developer on doing that. So we were hired to explore um, what might sponsorship look like in that context. And it was a revenue exercise. There was nothing philanthropic about it. Um, but it was how might we paint the picture for a corporation? Mm-hmm. And we looked around the world at other train stations that had renovated themselves because this is something now that train stations are usually located in a really important part of a city. Mm-hmm. And so if we look at London, St. Pancras Station has champagne bars and really beautiful <laughs> experience there. Grand Central Station in New York City has always been that. Yes. It's a very romantic place. It's a beautiful place architecturally. Um, You know, Christmas shopping is a wonderful experience there. They have programs. So Union Station aspired to do that. But when we looked at all of them, none of them had sponsors. They'd have Mm -hmm. program sponsors. They'd have a, a brand sponsoring the Christmas market, let's say, or the holiday market or a summer program. But no one had a site sponsor, if you will. Yes. And so we really, we spent a year and really looked at what might be possible mm-hmm. and then came up with a plan for financial institutions. And we had all five, the big five banks in Canada bid on the opportunity because they saw that this was going to be something pretty spectacular, which it is. I it don't is. Know if you've I have. Been through. Yes. Yeah. It's, and I'm a very, um, I've been, for the last, I don't know, 30 years, a huge user, I mean, until the pandemic um, of, of Union Station. Union Station is very sentimental to me. It's a, It's been a meeting place. But the, the last time I was in there, uh, before the pandemic, there was a DJ next to the Mick Cafe. Yes. And, and that was a good time before I yes. got on the train. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And one of the, to your point, the caveat that was everyone agreed, the city is multi-stakeholder, you know, the province runs Metrolinks out of there, Via yes. Rail is national. So many, many stakeholders, many, you know, municip- municipal stakeholders also. Um, everyone was aligned, including the sponsor, which is TD Bank, that the whoever ended up joining forces had to make the experience better. And it could not be a big commercial looking like, oh, we're taking over. The the user, the commuter, the downtown condo dweller had to feel like, oh, this is so cool. TD music on a Friday afternoon in the summer when they yes. have a van there and you get a beer and sit down yes. and ha- is pretty is pretty neat. And it, and using the space in a way that had never been used. So that was always, always the 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 sort of guiding light. That was our North Star. Well, that that's that's my last, that is my last, and you and I did not talk about this. This <laughs> this was my last experience and actually made 
I mean, I've never seen her, but I made a friend that day because we, the DJ was playing um, sort of old old school house from when we were in high school. And she and I were like, yes, That's high great. school, where did you go? I went, you know. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways. Good. Please I'm go on. Yes. Yeah. No, so, and so that, that was, you know, that is, uh, uh, you know, and, um, and of course we didn't do it alone or our, our no. client in the city of Toronto. I mean, there's a huge number of people that have to make something like this happen. TD also was an incredible partner is an yeah. incredible partner um, and understood the sensibilities and, and everything that needed the parameters. Um, and so it was really quite an experience for everyone and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to work on that. Since then, we've been, I mean, COVID put a bit of a, a bit of a, a delay. Um, we've been working with Calgary Transit to mm. help them figure out how, again, how might a sponsor um, get value in a way that brings value to yes. the ridership of Calgary Transit in an unprecedented way. And, you know, I used to use the word unprecedented before COVID. <laughs> now I don't want to say it, but I love working on projects that that have a result that hasn't been done before. Yes. And when I look at how we how we stretch the sponsorship fundamentals to work for cities and mm -hmm. projects within cities, um, that excites me a lot. We similarly did a, started a project with Gare Centrale in Montreal. Mm -hmm who's undergoing a massive renovation, very similar. Their goal is very similar to what we saw at Union Station. And so um, we have also been talking to the folks at Penn Station, Moynihan Train Hall in New York City. So those are the projects that get me very, very excited because there's so many pieces to it. There's also the communication around it, which mm -hmm. is important. The communication when you do it ahead of time, when it happens, there are a lot of people who still believe that corporations have no business partnering with cities to make mm -hmm. things happen. I think that probably cha has changed, yes, but yeah. there are still people who are worried about that. Um, well, and so, yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think you get to see in, in the projects you've described, you get to see an opportunity for a different kind of relationship with a corporate partner that isn't about uh, a title on a building. Right. That is exactly is, is about kind of um, enlivening the experience of the people who use that space or that yes. service. So I I think, you know, that's and that's also the, like going to where people are at. Right. right? Exactly. So, so that's very that's really exciting. You've really also been driven by, um, you know, building cultural experiences uh, in, in Toronto. Yes. Why is that? Like, what, what is, yes. what is it about that that sort of motivates you? Um, it's a great question. Yes, I have. I've worked with, you know, the Ontario Science Center, the Royal Conservatory of Music. Um, I, I, I'm a strong believer in all kinds of ways that people enjoy their city and mm. their life. Um, while I haven't worked directly in sports, I'm a sports fan and I see how sports can transform kids and have them have an experience of winning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not, you know, so much in the arts land that I don't appreciate that I do. But for me personally, um, culture has always been 
the thing that's drawn me. And I have always believed that I'm going to do a, a, my best job when I'm, I've got some personal passion mm. in the game. And so I am, I love cultural experiences mm-hmm. and, and in, in all ways, I love buskers on the street <laughs> who are really good at what they do to going to an AGO exhibit to the science center, um, the creativity that happens there. And so it's really about my own personal passions and what I relate to and understand. I also find that the people that work in those institutions are very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, one of the things that drove me is working with creative and, and smart people. And um, I'm thrilled when I work with really smart clients um, who challenge me, who think about things differently than I might. And so that's part of it. I think that the culture sector is rich with people like that too. Do, do you think that um, culture right now has the capacity to pivot in a way like into this like unknown land? Because we know that we're, we are not going to go back to a, let's say, normal. We're going to go into something else and then something else. What, what, what does that look like? For, for culture? Is that too big a question to... It, it's a, no, it is the question. Yeah. And I don't have the answer. I, I think that um, there will be, fr- frankly, there'll be winners and losers. Mm-hmm. I think that there will be the organizations that can think about what their next generation is like, the performing arts organizations who say, okay, how do we have an experience if we can't have a full house mm-hmm. and there's a lot of financial mm-hmm. implications really. Um, so I don't have the answer. I do believe that like anything, we will, we will find a new way. And the yes. ones who there's always an opportunity at a time like this. Yes. And, and the ones who aren't necessarily wedded to one way of doing it will mm-hmm. win. Yes. I, I, I think in general, so, so we have to hack ourselves. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or get some, or, or get some kind of cross-pollination thinking. Yeah. So, so you know, all of these organizations have boards of directors who have people from different walks of life, business or, or medicine or other things. I think it's to kind of bring different ways of thinking together, and. Mm. And say, okay, how would we solve this if we, because I think the folks working in, in the different cultural and arts organization have been doing what they've been doing for a pretty long time. Yes, yes. Very hard, very hard to sort of imagine doing it differently when part of the, your result is the form that it took. True, true. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, and I think also people are just individually, so many people are tired. You know, they're sort yes. of fatigued right now and they're trying to figure out not only how do they keep their business going, how do they keep themselves going, yes, right? Absolutely. Can I, can I ask, are you, what are you doing? Like, what are, how are you hacking into your, yes, thank your you. lifestyle it's, to, it's, to help yourself kind of reimagine yeah, yourself? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was, you know, thinking as you were speaking that it's hard to come from abundance. You know, I, I think that new thinking, you have to come from abundance, not 
not scarcity. And mm-hmm. I think many of us right now, it requires effort, me yes. included, to sort of come from abundance still in possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're feeling like, oh my goodness, but you know, how am I going to pay my bill? You know, that, yes. that level. So my personal hacks, um, I, I meditation has been the one constant for me. Um, I've been meditating since I was 16. It was a birthday present my mother gave me um, in her very forward thinking ways. I was given a TM transcendental meditation training when I was 16. Wow. And so I have been a meditator mostly on, but sometimes off. I yes. mean, I wouldn't say every single day yes, um, yes. since I was 16. So that's a long time. Yes. So I am fortunate because I've had that as part of my, um, my morning anyway. Um, yeah. and so certainly during the pandemic that has come back super mm. strong. I, I yes. like brushing my teeth. I definitely do that. Yes. Um, I'm also, um, a wannabe yogi. And so I have done some zoom yoga classes and keep that going at least twice a week. Um, I'm, I'm a runner. I need aerobic exercise, which I haven't gotten much of, I will admit. So exercise for sure. Yeah. Yeah, It's hard. It's It's been very hard and it's very impactful. I'm not, and I'm not even talking about weight. I more for me, it's about energy, like brain power. I need that cardio, that aerobic exercise need it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And I haven't been getting it admittedly. Um, I've I do. I on. jump up and down a lot. <laughs> and the kids are like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm fine. I just have to skip in this moment right now. I have to move. <laughs> That's good. Well, you get the heart rate up however you do. That's great. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think that um, I also, um, the meditation I think has been the, the most important piece. And also, you know, on the the sunny days that we have, as cold as it is, mm. I just I get outside, take a deep breath, go take a walk near the lake, mm. remind myself um, that I'm so lucky to live where I live, to be as healthy as I am, yes, and and to just you know, we my my team and I, somebody on my team had suggested this, and we do it. We have a once a week huddle in the morning on Tuesdays. And um, we started by doing three things that um, we're grateful for mm-hmm. sharing that but and, and it can be personal or work related. Um, it's such a bonding experience. And it sounds very cliche. I know. No, but, no, it but, doesn't. Um, really in a work context to be sharing that with folks and and we learn so much about each other. Mm-hmm. And it was a reminder. And then I, in my, you know, January, okay, we have to get business going said, okay, you know, we don't have time for the grateful exercise. So for the last month, we've been saying the three priorities for the week. And all of a sudden this morning, I realized something is missing. That mm-hmm. gratitude did a lot more for the priorities yes. than us articulating our priorities. These are all professionals. They know what their priorities are. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to do that. There's certainly room to talk about that. But let's bring the gratitude back because that exercise was a very important one. And it made everyone, it set up the week. In a it's beautiful essential. Way. It's essential. Being able to appreciate uh, what you have and what's in front of you is a, a kind of focus. It's a, it's a tool for being able to focus 
on what is good rather than what is a deficit. Yes. Right. Um, and I, and I also, yes, do you would th- know that more than anyone. <laughs> I mean, this, this is why I do what I, what I do. And I, I think now, especially because we have distributed workers, I mean, it's not just, we're, we're not remote from each other. We're remote physically, but we we're still very much engaged and have to find ways of cultivating trust and commitment and, and shared priorities. And I think generosity and gratitude and appreciation are really good links to being able to do that. So, so good for you guys. That's amazing. Yes. Now, now, Bonnie, you know what? The time has gone by very quickly. You know, we're, we're, we're like 45 oh, wow. minutes. I can't, you know. Wow. So I'd love to have you back and sharing um, some of your tips of, you know, how to grow. I, and I, and I know, I know, that's a challenge because, you know, we're all going through lots of things, but you never know how your experience will also inspire someone else. Because I know very few people think like you um, and are so willing to work with such um, with such a diverse group of people. I'm talking about, you know, backgrounds intellectually from, from different types of um, disciplines. I think that's really powerful and very impactful in building, you know, communities, right? So thank you so much for being here. Do you have a last tip that you want to give? It's, it's always sort of staying awake to yourself and what you're interested in, what you're passionate about. And and keeping a sense of humor about it. I say this to my kids all the time. Don't be afraid to fail. Take a job because you're lucky you have one. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to love everything about it. But pay attention to what you do love about it and what you don't. And understand and learn about yourself. Every job teaches you that. And so to just be very basic, and it's probably not a tip, it's simple but not easy, is stay in tune with how you're feeling. Do I like working with this person? Do I want a bigger company or a smaller company? Do I want to do something on my own? What does that involve? And, and, and take the time to get to know yourself in the process. Mm. Extraordinary. I think all, no, no, seriously, because I think it's not academic, is it? It's not a linear thing. This is a very, um, interconnected experience trying to figure out where you belong and especially trying to do that now as we pivot into a new world right I'm so grateful for you and I'm so I'm grateful that we've had you know all this time all these years although we don't see each other very often all these decades to continue to be friends and to grow professionally I want to wish you continued success and growth. And um, I think this city is very lucky to have you uh, as as one of the leading um, developers, creators in, in the sponsorship arena. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining the conversation. To learn more about Limitless and she and her corporate training, life coaching, keynote engagements, and her most recent podcasts, go to www.coachshamarville.com.